Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Today's guest is a human connection keynote expert author of Every Conversation Counts, The Five Habits of Human Connection That Build Extraordinary Relationships, and creator of the Magnetic Presenter Speaking Coaching Program. He is also an accomplished broadcaster with 17 years of television hosting experience and has hosted for City TV's Breakfast Television, MTV Canada, TEDx Vancouver, City TV News, and the Toronto International Film Festival. We have the one and only Riaz Megji joining us today. This is such a great conversation. I really, really, truly enjoyed this and grateful to have connected with Riaz. For those of you that don't know, which most of you probably don't that are listening to this, that if you're from the States or whatever, or maybe you do know, I don't know. But Riaz has been on TV for a while, 17 years. So I've seen him, you know, on breakfast television where it's like the main show, you know, those morning shows, every city has them. He was on the main one for many years, seen him, you know, in all different events on TV and his face just became like a well-known person in, in Canada. And, you know, specifically I noticed them in Vancouver. So I also used to see him around the city. And then finally we were connected through mutual friends. Um, and yeah, here we are. We were having a great conversation. What he's been able to do in his world and his career is, is, is amazing. And I wanted to unpack all that, but also the importance of, you know, his new journey and pivoting and, you know, what he's doing with his book and, you know, his YouTube channel is really awesome too, around all the different skills to help you speak better, show up better, prepare. He's got it all. So highly recommend checking out his YouTube. He's also got a program as mentioned that, it's called the magnetic presenter speaking coaching program, where if you want to speak, you want to get better at it. It's all he, he, he's going to help you do that. So he's obviously, you'll be able to tell he's great in this area and he's been doing it for years. So he's somebody that we should definitely um, look to learn from. And his book is great as well. And I'm looking forward to reading it. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm looking forward to it. So um, yeah, guys, this was a great show. If you guys aren't subscribed to the podcast yet, Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. You stay on top of the episodes. And if you are watching this on YouTube, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. You stay on top of it. You know, it's really appreciated. We're, you know, continually to build this thing. We're going to keep releasing and going and bringing on amazing people. And I can't do this without your guys' support. And if you do feel called to do so, share this with somebody, leave us a review. All we ask is to support the show by sharing it or leaving a review. It's, you know, we don't, you know, that's, that's really all we ask. I want this content to get to everybody. And like I said, we can't do that without you spreading the love. So appreciate you. Lots of exciting things coming up. Um, my manuscript of my book has been handed in. So that's going to be due. That's going to be coming out in the new year, which is exciting. We got a lot of different stuff happening as well. Podcast courses coming out. Mindset courses coming out all kinds of stuff to grow the University of Adversity brand, stuff that I'm really passionate about. And as I learn and as I grow on this journey, I want to give back and share that with you and help you 
you know, with whatever you're going through, you know, this show is about empowering you with the tools so that you can change your perspective on the adversity and really just become a more empowered, resilient human. So I love you guys. I appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Riaz Megji coming right up. Here we go. Riaz, welcome to University of Adversity, my man. I'm so grateful to have you here today. How you doing, brother? Bring the bell. School's in. I've been looking forward to this one, Lance. Good to see you. Good to hear you, man. Dude, you too, man. And um, I've been looking forward to this for a while. We got a few mutual friends, mutual connections, and you being in Vancouver and me, you know, witnessing you on TV for many years as a broadcaster, you know, 17 years is pretty phenomenal. CTV, MTV Canada, TEDx, like you've done a lot and you've been that face in Vancouver for a long time. Right. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to get you on here and what you're up to with your book, every conversation counts the five habits of human connection that build extraordinary relationships, your program, the magnetic presenter. This is all really good stuff, especially right now in the time we're living in. So I, before we get into that, I would love to kind of, for those that are just getting to learn about you, my audience that doesn't know a little bit about your background, walk us through a little bit of your journey through the broadcasting world and kind of how you, I guess we can start wherever you feel is a good spot, but like walk us through that a little bit. Cause I had talked to Chris Van Vliet about this as well, about how incredible mm. it is to be able to be in that industry at the time that you got in it and to be able to thrive throughout as well. Yeah. I love that chat with Chris, by the way. And I know you guys talked all about human connection, which uh, is the topic that I'm passionate about. And the time that I got into broadcasting, so as you mentioned, over the last couple of decades, I've had the chance to interview people for a living. Early 2000s is when I started. And this was pre-social media. The uh, mainstream media landscape, especially here in Canada, was much bigger. Yet the opportunities uh, to break in, especially from the diversity standpoint, were really difficult. And I was a finance grad from Simon Fraser University in Vancouver that defected all of a sudden, finished my degree, and then took the plunge to get in. And it freaked my parents out because at the time, you didn't see our color. You didn't see our, uh, uh, you know, our ethnicity on camera. And they were thinking, okay, you have this secure career path. What are you doing? And my breakthrough into the business happened in 2002, where I entered every single contest you could imagine, local radio, uh, contest at MTV, the, the much, mu much Music was big in Canada at the yeah. time, the Much Temp contest, and was runner-up in all of these contests. But that uh, I credit like the humility of th this beginner's mindset of just, just give me a chance to, to, to just break in and do something. Uh, it was an internship at MTV Canada. And that started back in 2002, an unpaid internship. And you talk about humble moments. Downtown Vancouver, corner of Robson and Burrard, handing out flyers with high school kids, encouraging people to come to this top 10 video countdown show that was called Select on MTV Canada. And the producers, they wanted to test my attitude, you know, my persistence and, and willingness to just do anything because they knew I wanted to learn the craft of presenting. And MTV Canada was the first shot. And mm -hmm. it... That attitude parlayed from being an MTV Canada host, being a backup weathercaster later on the CTV News. And then one of the biggest gigs I had was the morning show host on Breakfast Television Vancouver for over 10 years and doing what you do uh, uh, very well in this podcast, man, just interviewing people for a living and just understanding 
how they survive, how they thrive, and, and, and taking those learning lessons into my own life. Yeah, what a journey too. And when you got into it, did you, did you know that you had that skill? Like, how did you, how did you craft that? Because, you know, some people, some people have the ability to really, you know, and this is a lot of what you do too, is teach people how to present and speak and connect. And you have to be able to connect with an audience. You have to be, you know, relatable. You know, did you, did you know that you had that skill or is that something that you developed along the way? Definitely something developed along the way. And the belief in that skill came from somebody else. And I'll bring you into a moment. In my final semester of business school at Simon Fraser University, one of the most important conversations I had in my life was with a leader by the name of Latfi. And he was a co-chair of a conference that I attended in Quebec City because I was a part of this volunteer international student organization called ISEC. And ISEC was great at facilitating international student exchange where we'd send students abroad, they'd come here. There was a great sense of like cultural understanding. But at this conference, I had the opportunity to present on a few sessions in the HR sect of, of this organization to you know, engage people and empower uh, members of the group. Latvi sat in on some of my sessions. And post-conference, we were literally having lunch at a Burger King in Montreal. And he looked at me and he said, dude, I don't, I don't think you should go into like business and become this financial expert. And he said, you have something to offer in the presentation space. And in this back and forth, I was playing the game of life safe, where I'm thinking my parents are expecting me to, to, to go this career path. I've invested in this university education. And he said, dude, you're 22, man. Take a year of your life and go after something special. Mm. You've got nothing to lose. And in that conversation, he planted the seed. So to answer your question, he saw it before I did. But when you have somebody that, that, that gives you that, that, that seed of belief, I started believing it. And then my lens looked at the landscape completely differently because it was focused on going to be, you know, this financial broker. But then it was like, what if there was a career in television? How does this work? The best thing about university is it teaches you how to be a critical thinker. So applying that, I just looked at the television landscape and the presentation landscape and thought, what if I brought my unique sauce to this? And how could this be different? Because if I had gone to broadcast school, I think broadcast school may have, it, it may have almost limited my thinking of, you got to go to a small market. This is the way the process, I was perhaps naive, not having that broad scale, broadcast school background. I just jumped in and said, let's go big. Let's just try it. And, and that's really how things started to happen. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like your intuition. You're sort of like doing what you feel is right. Instead of being kind of conditioned a certain way. Right. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, it's, I, the thing that I can relate with that is, you know, I was a bartender for many years and there is a way to be a bartender where you learn, you know, in the trenches or you learn at bartending school. And it was always like, I couldn't, I had to learn in the trade itself. You know, you have to get your ass kicked a few times and you have to learn your unique sauce. And that's what makes it special. And you mm -hmm. kind of lean into your strengths and your gut as to like how you want to show up. But if you have too much of the other stuff, the other too much like structure or whatever somebody else is saying is the right way, sometimes you can get clouded. Sometimes you don't make the right, you don't, you're not yourself, right? There's such a difference on being taught 
how to think instead of what to think. And at a young age, yeah, you're, you're impressionable. I mean, still, I, I credit one simple principle that allowed this type of longevity and success in this industry and to evolve it is to just maintain a beginner's mindset. Because in the expert's mind, there are few options, but in the beginner's mind, there's infinite possibilities. And right. uh, I think, and not taking anything away from broadcast school, because there's, there's wonderful oh, broadcasters totally, yeah. that, that, that hone their craft through that. But I think every journey is going to be unique. And I'm totally like an overthinker. So I think I would have thought, no, I got to do this. I got to do that first. Mm. I just thought, what if it could be this? Yeah. And let's try. Let's just try and mm. see what happens. Yeah. And it's so important to have somebody that believes in you as well. Right. And it was like this for, for me when I played hockey, it was like, you know, one coach could see that in you. And if one person sees that in you and puts you on a, a good line to play with some good players, then you start to feel it. Right. But then, you know, if they don't, then, you know, your confidence goes down and all it takes is just one time somebody believes in you. And I, I saw it on different teams with different players. You know, why, why do they suck on this team, but they're great on this team? It's because of that belief. And, and, mm. and I feel, feel like that's what's the key to a good leader, a good coach is seeing that in you when you don't even see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the idea of having a coach, whatever you want to do in your life, whether it's the podcast or presenting space, whether it's your health and wellness, whether it's your relationship, uh, two things, one, getting a coach that, you know, is, is an expert in their craft is valuable. And then two, staying coachable staying open to the possibilities, especially when somebody pushes you and keeps you accountable and, and shows you things that you may have been a blind spot to you before. I think there's huge value in, in what you're describing. What makes your method, like what is something that stands out to you as being something that you just own and you just do that and people admire and, and like, is there something that comes up that you just know that you've honed in on that's your secret sauce? The thing that lights me up and I feel that I'm able to leave an impact after, you know, I walk out of the conversation or the room is the ability to one, prepare, prepare and understand what, what this person needs, what this audience needs and serve that need and make it all about them. Like one of the biggest philosophies, I think if there's one line to define that, 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 that secret ingredient is look at you is greater then look at me. Mm. And I think that philosophy has allowed me to make these connections. It's allowed me to access people, gain their trust to the point that they feel safe enough to open up, share something of great value. And, you know, if you're presenting in front of an audience, you know, sometimes people will say, mm, I don't know if I, I hit that. I don't know if my content is good enough. I don't know if they've heard that. The first thing I'll say is, well, how many people have you talked to already that will be in that audience? And sometimes they might say, oh, just one, the event organizer. But for me, uh, going uh, the, the additional mile to say, don't just stop at the event organizer, talk to the people that will be in the room. Because the only way you could ever impress, influence, or persuade anybody is to understand them first. And I pride myself on that type of work to understand what is your priority? How do I prioritize your priorities? And then let's go back and forth and explore what's possible. Hmm. What's your strategy when you, what's your morning look like when you need to get into that zone? You know, like when you're, you know, you're going to be speaking to the world, 
you know, or, or, or connecting, interviewing somebody and like what, when you know that you got to get dialed in, what is that process like for you? The interesting part of this process is something that uh, maybe I learned halfway through my career is 24 hours before uh, any type of big presentation or big interview, all, all the prep is done. And that 24 hour gap, it's locked in of, you know, the, the direction uh, I feel this, this, this story could go with somebody. Mm. And then that allows me to just, to just to stay loose, stay present in the moment. And I champion the notion of over-preparing to improvise because preparation, as you know, as an interviewer, it's going to give you confidence that you can connect with the subject, you know about them, you can find that common ground, but the true connection really comes from the ability to improvise, pivot, and, yeah. and just listen in the moment and then take it where it goes because they may give you a piece of them that nobody knew about. Yeah. And I heard, you, you know, I heard this great philosophy from two great speakers in the game, Michael Port and Andrew Davis, who have this terrific book out there right now called The Referable Speaker. And the difference between being uh, an expert and a visionary is the experts will give you the tips, the how-tos that you can essentially find anywhere if you just Google it or YouTube it. Mm. But the visionaries are asking questions that Google can't answer. Mm. And I think that's a brilliant way to look at approaching if you have a message to share, uh, if you have an interview to prepare for. Like if I was in the green room with guests, sure, I'd do my research. And before we went on live TV, one of the exercises that I, I found extremely valuable and gave the person the, the space to share and show that I'm, I'm there for them was I'd simply, Lance, after we exchange formalities, I'd simply say, so what's on your mind? Hmm. And the first thing that would come out of their mouth would show me the priorities occupying you know, mm -hmm. their mental space. And then I would understand that's what they need to talk about. Because we could come up with the best questions that we think are yeah. brilliant and we think the audience needs to hear, but what's the message they are they there to share? And as mm -hmm. soon as what's on your mind comes out, you could get unique tidbits where the questions you, like I may have thought about asking, I'll throw them out the window and go that direction. Cause that could be a really powerful reveal for that person. Dude, that's gold. And it's so true. What a great way to start it because there, that's the thing too, is people ask me all the time about, well, how do you, how do you prepare? Like, what do you ask these people? And sometimes you can over prepare have all these questions, but then it's almost like, you know, too much and you're not being authentic because you're asking stuff you already know the answer to. So it's mm -hmm. like you, I like, it's like a, a fine line of like knowing about the person. Some people, like I had Theo Fleury, I know him because of hockey. Right. But like, there's some people where I generally, I want to have a bit of like a curiosity. I want to know, but I don't want to have everything laid out because as soon as you get into an organic conversation, like a long form mm. podcast, a lot of this stuff goes out the window. And it's like, yeah. it sounds inauthentic if you just go like, yes, thank you. And then you go to the next question. It's kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of, uh, of listening and, and, and intuition there that I found that is, is so much better than just going through the questions, right? As you said, like, it's, it's kind of a dance. You're kind of like feeding off the energy and it can be a beautiful thing by just allowing that to unfold. Oh, you know, absolutely. Like, as you describe that, that taps into the biggest mistake I would make at the beginning of my career where you come up with a list of questions and I would gauge the success of the interview of, was I able to ask all of my questions? Uh, it doesn't yeah. matter. 
it's pointing that focus forward. And to your point that if you already know what you're going to say or ask, you hardly need to listen at all. It becomes a, 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 just a mechanical process. Like you, you mentioned Theo Fleury. So take me through this. He's your biggest interview. And like you, you grew up in Edmonton, right? Yeah. So this is a big deal for you early on in your career to have a Theo Fleury interview. How has your process changed from that moment, which is probably a life moment for you idolizing this guy, to how you approach it now if you have a big name you really look up to? What's changed for you? Oh, I've just, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, it's that, that specific interview was just something that I was so nervous for. I was so nervous because I, I couldn't believe I was talking to the guy, right? Like I grew up <laughs> as an Oilers fan and I've told this story a few times, but like, it was just, I just knew all the things and everything was just ready. And I was like, I, I just walked out of that conversation. Like I nailed that. Like I nailed it. It was perfect. And I don't, I'm very hard on myself. You can ask anybody. I'm very critical. Like, ah, oh, fuck that up. Uh, whatever. But that yeah. one, I was like, I got that. And after that, I just realized, and you can probably, you know, relate with me on this. It's like, they're all just humans. We're all humans, you know? And, and I have to see myself at just as worthy to speak to them. I may not have all the accolades, but I, I have to step into that, that feeling of confidence. And I guess, you know, people like Grant Cardone was another one that really was, I was really nervous about and dude, it just, I don't know. You just step into that and you just, you, you have to. And my moving forward, I just get a, I like to get a good understanding of the person, but I just have to just roll with the, 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 the energy of the conversation, you know? And, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just, it's, I don't it just, it's changed my life, man. I'm so grateful in so many ways to be able to connect with people like yourself. Like it's, it's literally completely changed who I am. Like it's, it's hard to even put into words, right. As you can probably say, like, what is it like for you being able to look back and connect with all these people? And it just must be like, what, like, how did I, you know, like, how did I get here? Like, it's, it's, it's wild, man. It's wild. Well, you know, the, the interesting part of how uh, the, the game has changed and for, you know, your loyal, loyal listeners who probably heard you talk about this with Chris Van Vliet, I liked the discussion you guys had of the shift of how the podcast game is taken much more seriously now. And for those that, I mean, you're like, what, over 300 episodes deep on this, right? Like that to me shows commitment to the craft. Like how many people drop off after the first 20, 30 episodes because they don't see explosive results right away. Yeah. The thing that I've learned and especially watching uh, some of the greats that have achieved really unique victories in their lives is that the consistent thread is one, they have discipline and two, they have humility. And there is a discipline and a commitment to a craft to do these episodes, to build your podcast. And some of the podcasters I've talked to through, uh, you know, the conversation sparked by this book, they said to me, it didn't explode until they hit like episode 400 or 500. And you know, you're playing the long game with this, Yeah. but you never know who's listening and who could connect with your content. Even if you're a YouTuber and you got 20, 30 views on your, on your video. And you might think nobody's watching this. Yeah. Your message matters as much, if not more than those, those metrics We're caught up like in this, this, this race of vanity metrics, but that one person could have heard something, done something differently. And I say the greatest reward to this day is when somebody comes back 
two months, three months, a year down the line saying, I read your book. I listened to your podcast. I saw your YouTube video and I did something different with my life because I didn't look at it that way before. Thank you. Mm. It's the greatest gift of this medium of connecting, communicating and presenting. Yeah. It's like really what matters. It's like that having that person that you impacted is, is just everything, you know, like hearing somebody say like, you don't even know they're listening and they tell you about this story and it impacted your life, their life. It's like, wow, this is, that's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful and man, it's so true. And it's, as I start to evolve, I care less about the metrics and the people around because it's really, I tell people too, when they start podcasting, just get all that crap out. Don't worry about it. Like you just got to go with your truth. You got to just say like, I'm going to do this, commit to it. And, and look, the numbers, we're not going to be Joe Rogan overnight. Like it's not (laughs) just, just be true to yourself. Right. Like, I mean, and just keep going. You're absolutely right. People look at Lewis Howes. I don't have, you know, a hundred million downloads an episode. Then I suck. And it's like, well, the guy's been doing it for like ages. Right. So that's why it's really important with podcasting. I feel like these days is, is, is people just need to just, just get, just cut out the crap. Just don't worry about that stuff and just, just be consistent and just be relatable. And I, I really believe like that things just work itself out. And it's not even about the show itself. It's like the connections we make, right. Which we'll get into. It's like these relationships are everything. Mm-hmm. This, the, 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 you know, the, the vehicle you use, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it's the connections. It's the humans that you get to meet and it's how you make them feel. And that's what creates the ripple, right? That's the magic. And it's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, if you can niche down and deliver an impact, your income is inevitable because you're, you're living with integrity, with a connection to your message. And that actually speaks to, uh, you know, a common question I would get coming up when people would say, hey, hey I, you know, how, do, how do I get into broadcasting or yeah, how do I get in front of people and I want, I want to speak for a living? The first question I would ask is, well, what is your message? Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have clarity on the message, I would say to them, I'm not the person to help you yet because that work needs to be done to, to, to define that message. And then once you know what that is and how you want to share it, then I'm the guy that could you know, possibly come in and give you some ideas of, of how to amplify it. But it starts with defining that message and that message won't be universally accepted and that's okay. But if it's a real message to you, your audience will discover it. How did you hone your message from pivoting, from going from being on TV for 17 years and then deciding to go the direction you're going. How did that work? This every conversation counts message came, came up about three days before I had the opportunity to give a TED talk at TEDx Simon Fraser University back in 2012. And a good friend of mine, Sam, reached out and he said, hey, I'm sure you've got some great stories to share. You've interviewed a lot of people, but what's the title of your talk going to be? Like, what's the message? What, what's the idea you want to leave the audience with? And then Lance, it had me thinking, hey, why am I waking up at like 3 a.m. to interview people for a living? Like, what is it that lights this fire? Yeah. And it really made me get specific of what is the underlying motivation and what is the ultimate reward and idea that I could share with somebody so they could succeed in their own life. 
And I looked at, it was the power of conversations that I loved because you never know when someone's going to give you something that is going to be a game changer. And that requires an openness in every conversation. And that's when those three words were born. Every conversation counts as the message I wanted to get behind. And I had a safety net in broadcasting. So the speaking and the message, it was kind of in the background, but it wasn't until 2019 when we decided let's, you know, do I want to wake up when I'm 50 and think, man, I should have pivoted at 40 and I'm in my early forties now. And I wanted to do something different and have a, a greater impact. So that was the opportunity to double down on keynote speaking. COVID happens. It removed excuses for all of us of what do you really want to do now? And when a publisher reached out and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book surrounding every conversation counts? And I said, yes, I've thought about it. But there's a great fear of failure of what if you put in all this work and nobody cares? It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. But then if you reframe this, and this is the work I had to do, of what if you change somebody's life? And what's the opportunity you really have with all of these stories and interviews and research have done on human connection and loneliness and isolation? And what if we created a resource of service and really pointed that focus forward? So it's been an evolution over the past 10 years, uh, but it took some bold moments, removal of distraction and excuses, which COVID provided the path. Um, thankfully, our family stayed healthy to, to really just do the work and put a message that is very personal out there to the world here in 2021. Yeah. How did the last 18 months, like how was it for you with, you know, being locked up and, you know, from somebody that used to used to going to the, going to being in the studio and doing the thing to all of a sudden where you're, you're, you're in these tight quarters. Well, I'm not sure how big your house is, but obviously with your family, it can bring us challenges. How was that for you? And what was some of the biggest challenges that you dealt with during that? The biggest one that stands out, I believe, is universal for, yeah. for a lot of us of just missing the energy of, of being at the workplace. Mm. And I almost, you know, the most overused word of 2020, still being used in 2021, pivot. My pivot kind of started in 2019, pre-pandemic of doing something different. Right. So the whole plan was to go from television to building a keynote speaking career with the message on human connection and building trust and connection uh, in your workplace. But then doing it remotely became this huge topic. And then I was experiencing for the first time building ideas and brainstorming and doing it alone. And that, that was a huge challenge because I realized whether it was TEDx Vancouver whether it was MTV, whether it was Breakfast Television Vancouver, there was always a team to work with. Mm. And it's almost something that you can take for granted. And I feel like, you know, pandemics, one of the thing, greatest lessons I took out of this is pandemics, they don't change your identity, they reveal it. And being in a part of a team was a big part of my identity. So restructuring that, mm. having the motivation, having that self-discipline every single day to work was, was uh, a big transition for me. And I would tell my wife, I'm like, there are some days I'm like, this is hard. I'm not used to this. And there were down days of adjusting to solopreneurship and like how this works to build up the message. So that was definitely a big one. But then having a team and the healthy distraction of finally writing the book, working through that, having a coach, having weekly goals. Uh, there was a weekly accountability and having this thing to look forward to, which was really important. And, you know, some of the work that I talk about in the book 
And th this perhaps could be great context for somebody listening to this is some people say to me, well, how do I connect with somebody if I know nothing about them? Like here, you and I could go back and forth. We can interview people for a living. We have that luxury of, <clears throat> of time and, and research to give us confidence. What if you don't have that? Yeah. And the late psychiatrist, Gordon Livingston, he did great work on the happiness equation. And he found the three things that defined how happy people were came down to the areas of the happiest people had something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. And I focused on those three during the pandemic hmm. of asking somebody that question, you know, what are you creating right now? Tell me about that. Tell me about what, you know, who you love. I think we all revisited the value of our relationships, who meant the most to us, who we prioritize. And then what is that thing you're looking forward to? And for me, the past 18 months really was finally writing this book, sharing this message I was so passionate about. And then you get to the finish line of writing it. That's not the finish line. <laughs> and then is the beast of, of marketing it and getting it out there because there's so much powerful information out there. How do you cut through the noise and have somebody sit up and say, that's a message I need right now. That's a message I'm going to read about and share myself. So it's, it was those three things that really helped me get through the last 18 months. With your book, what was your biggest challenge? Because there's a lot of people who want to write books. We kind of touched on this beforehand before we, but like, this is a really big undertaking that can completely change lives, change your own life. You start to, a lot gets revealed. You start to learn more about yourself. It's a wild process. So for, for you, like, what was the biggest challenge with that? With, with, you know, from start to finish? Two big challenges stand out. One, having the courage to write it. And that involves getting past the imposter syndrome to say, you know what, now I'm going to be an author. Who's going to believe me as an author? I'm just a TV guy. Like, what the hell? <laughs> so it, it was working through that aspect. And one of the editors on the book gave me a great piece of advice in the process because I am an overthinker and, 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 and think, is this good enough on the page? And she said, you cannot edit a blank page. Hmm. In your process, put these ideas down uh, to the best of your ability and then let's go to town on it together. And that was extremely valuable to strip out all of the imposter syndrome and focusing on how it could fail as opposed to, okay, here's how this could work. Now let, let's go back and forth, have that humility to be coached, stay coachable and learn and level up the words. Then the second part of it was, now we've got this flow. Now we're completing this manuscript is, have we created something that is timely and timeless? Because if you're going to re release a book, how do you create a resource that is of the time that creates a sense of urgency for somebody to say, I need that? Mm. As opposed to, oh, that's cool. You wrote a book. Good for you, Riaz. You know, I know you're working on a book too, Lance. You say, good for you, Lance. Great accomplishment. But how do you create mm. something that is of the time and is of service? And for me, I knew human connection was amplified. Like if I was doing keynote speeches, companies would say, yeah, human connection, that, that's great. Okay, we'll consider it. But when we looked at how loneliness and isolation were both amplified during this time, uh, human connection became uh, a necessity, not just an option. So I knew this was something of this time that people needed to heal, to connect. But at the same time, I, I wanted to create a resource that somebody could pick up five, six years from now and still look at these principles and still build the relationships they wanted to build in their, in their life. So it was really courage to try 
and then the focus and determination to balance the content so it was timely and timeless. It's interesting to hear that someone like yourself had imposter syndrome because this just goes to show how we are all, you know, you've interviewed so many people been in front of the camera for so long, yet you still had that. So that's great for people listening because it's like everybody gets that and that's normal. But, you know, from somebody looking in, we'd be like, oh, Riaz, you got it all figured out, man. You've been on the TV for 17 years. You've interviewed all these people <laughs> like, yeah. you know, which is great. That's a it's a great um it's great to know that someone like yourself has that and, but you were able to work through it. And it's so powerful because a lot of people will, it'll stop there. They're like, I'm not an author because I'm going to tell the story that I'm not an author. Mm -hmm. and it's, that story wins. And it's just bullshit. It's like, why are you telling that story? Why does that yeah. person that's an author, why are they any different than you? You know, like that's, that, that, that's, that's extremely valuable because there's internal mindset, external mindset, and it's what's the story you're telling yourself and what's the story you get to tell someone else. And that internal work of the do have be list, what do I want to do? What do I want to have? What do I want to be? What do I believe in? Uh, is so important to do before sharing it because it's easy for content to come out like rhetoric platitudes or just clutter. But if it is the realness to something you have seen, experienced, and learned from, the audience is always, no matter what the content is, a podcast, a book, a, you know, a keynote presentation, they're going to be wondering, what's in it for me? Selfishly, mm -hmm. that's what we do. But if we can dissect and objectively find that right team to support us, to say, that's valuable, this is valuable, and, and that takes humility to find uh, you know, your true confidants that can see the value in what you're sharing and then help carve it out. Uh, there can be a powerful reward of service that comes out of it all. What a great time for your book to come out though. I mean, cause everybody's dude, the world is, is there's so much lack of connection. It's crazy. And especially like we feel connected on social media, but we're actually not, we're disconnected. And yeah. What is your take on that? Let's, let's go there. What is your take on the social media where we feel we know what's going, but we're not actually you know, creating these relationships? Like, what's your take? My take on social media is that uh, we're in this time where the question is, highlights, are highlights winning over hardship? And I feel the highlight reels are, are, are doing more disservice than the realness can, 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 can really uh, create in terms of connection. And the, the big thing I promote, social media being this double-edged sword, that if we lead with creation over consumption, where we're engaging in meaningful ways, we're finding people like you that are putting out meaningful content. We're saying, hey, Lance, you know that episode you did with Chris when you got real about interviewing Theo Fleury, what you felt like, you know, that makes me think about interviewing my idol one day. If we're leading with that and creating dialogue, social media can be extremely valuable. But if we're leading with highlights over hardship and we're just mindlessly scrolling and consuming content, the danger of what that can do is we get, a, get caught up in this culture of comparison and then judgment, judging others, judging ourselves is what I'm doing enough. And ultimately what that, do, what that does is isolate ourselves and create this sense of inadequacy 
where we just shut down and then psych ourselves out from going for, for it in the first place. Yeah. So I see social media as just such a valuable tool to build your platform, to share your message. But I think if you're going to do that and do that well, I ask, how can you create more than you consume? Yeah, the 80-20, if you can create 80% of the time and consume 20, it's it's wild because you got to be really mindful of energy too. Because you can, you know, you can get locked in that vortex of other people's opinions and energy. And it's like you got to be mindful. It's you're right. It's a great tool, but can also be used against us. It's like you gotta be, you gotta respect it in a way that, you know, to understand. Cause I I mean, you could be feeling really good, allow yourself to go down these these rabbit holes of people's opinions. And all of a sudden it's taking you out of your state, your power. And you're like, Whoa, mm. what just happened here? What just happened here? And it kind of gets into the next uh, topic I want to talk about is like dealing with like conflict and being able to like, you know, have conversations with people that may not agree. And I think it's really important because some people aren't able to do that. And this is something that I've been really, somebody that's had a bad temper my whole life. I've really been learning to, to listen more, talk less, listen more when it comes to like hearing people's opinions, whatever it is. But it's important to be able to like hear people out and, and to be able to like have it and discuss something and, and have it, you know, flow in a, in a way that respects one another's opinion. What are your thoughts on that for de-escalating like conflict amongst each other? And what are some tips that you have for people that have struggled with having a conversation and, and disagreeing? Yeah, th this one is so relevant for our time right now, because there is anytime communication is ambiguous, we assume the worst. And we've seen it with virtual communication. What if somebody doesn't respond to your email right away? Does that mean you lost the deal? Does that mean they, they don't like you? They don't care about you? Our confirmation bias or negativity bias can work against us. And one of the habits I talk about in the book, especially when it comes to conflict and promoting effective collaboration when you disagree with somebody is to be assertively empathetic. And what that underlying principle is, is looking at how you can control your own distractions. Like if we were to disagree and you look at this polarized climate we live in right now, people are afraid to speak up because of cancel culture, or maybe they're not afraid to speak up. They're just ready to attack. Nobody's yeah. listening to each other. They're just broadcasting how they feel and how they're right in the world is wrong. How can we redirect conflict to curiosity is, is the big play here and put the relationship first, logic second. And if we're being assertively empathetic, that involves for us checking our own egos, checking our own emotion that if I disagree with you, Lance, and I, I just think he's completely out to lunch, my emotions take over and I've shut myself off from listening to you. It's a complete breakdown where we're competing instead of collaborating. So step one is to stay curious longer, like you were alluding to, and asking the questions of, you know, how, do, how did this feel in this moment? Uh, what is it that motivates you to think this way? And truly understand where somebody's at, what their underlying motivations are, but then recapping that you've understood them, yeah. not making the assumption. And once they know if somebody's on the other end against you, but they know you've at least heard them, even though you have a different philosophy, that is step one in disarming their tension and resistance. Because debate and conflict, this is constructive tension that could lead to greater outcomes. We need it. Yeah, I We agree. need productive disagreements. 
And then once they've been heard, the second step is bringing in the logic of really focusing on what we can agree on. Because there will always be common ground, no matter, I mean, look at the, vac the, the vaccine debate that people are having. This is a heated debate, but the, at the end of the day, the common ground is we want to be healthy. We want to get past this di dynamic. Mm -hmm. and, and this pandemic. And I think questions of, you know, what is the real challenge here for you? What does your ideal scenario look like? Yeah. What, what do you think would take for us to get there are such valuable questions to lead with curiosity in our logic phase where we understand, hey, we're in this together. Yeah. So it's you and me, Lance, versus the problem instead of me versus you with our differing philosophies. So I think it's a redirection of conflict to curiosity and put the relationship first, logic second. Yeah, man, you nailed it. And it's so true because we assume that what we know is right and what they know is wrong, but it's like, that's a human with a story and a reason and a family. And they, they have an opinion for a reason. And it's like, don't, if, if we can just get curious and just be like, interesting, why do you think like that? Like, I want to know why, because if we don't know why you think like that, like, how can we judge it? Like we have to understand and that's the thing that I find interesting is that there is not enough. People aren't listening enough. People aren't curious enough to know like why people think certain things. And, you know, you can learn a lot from people that have a different opinion and challenge your beliefs. You know, Mark Manson talks about this. It's like the best thing you can do is, is challenge your beliefs because then you'll either have a stronger belief or you'll, you'll think differently. Like it's, but I think we're, I think things have just gotten where it's like, well, no, I'm only going to listen to people that think like me and you're wrong and you're an idiot. And it's like, whoa, where did, how do we get this? How do we get here? Like, yeah. was it, I don't remember it being like this. Like, how did, how did we get here with this, with this disagreeing and people just, you're wrong. So you're done. You're it's over. Like, yeah. When did this start? Like, I don't, I don't even remember. Like, how did this all happen? <laughs> yeah. A part of it. Yeah. When, when I think about that is, in social media, I think a great question to ask is, are we living in our own echo chambers where you're sharing an idea and it's all your friends saying, yeah, that's great. Oh yeah, totally believe you. And if somebody, one person disagrees with you, we see that as a threat as opposed to an opportunity. And, you know, there was a story a few years back, Sarah Silverman, popular comedian, you know, she's had her fair share of controversy in her career. But the thing I credit about her action on social media is she was sharing something and somebody threw an expletive at her online. And instead of just immediately trying to take down this hater, she almost took the philosophy of hugging your haters where she clicked on the profile, understood this guy throws a lot of hate at people, but also understood he was suffering and he had back issues. And her response to him was extremely empathetic of, I can see through your thinly veiled pain. And she said, my back sucks too. And then immediately it created this, like if you Google this, Sarah Silverman and, and, and just uh, hater, it will come up and you'll see what they were able to do where there was a healthy exchange where she brought her followers in to support this guy. And then they ended up becoming friends. Yeah. And you think in this time that we're so triggered, we're so defensive if somebody comes at us, like if it, if it is a personal attack on your character that you have no control over how you look, how you sound, this is you and someone just, just wants to take you down altogether, you're not going to have a productive, you know, no, no dialogue. But if there's an opportunity that somebody is introducing something that one could be a blind spot, 
Yes, to, to your Mark Manson point, it's, it's an opportunity to learn. But two, if somebody's spewing that negativity and they don't even know you, something's wrong in their life. Yeah. And then you have the opportunity. Do you want to do what Sarah Silverman did to understand where does this hatred come from? Could there be something good that comes of it? Or do you just leave it alone and not let it affect you? Because we don't, if we live with external validation, that kind of stuff's going to be really difficult. But if you believe in who you are, what your message is, it's important to validate yourself in this time because if we're looking outward for that validation, it could be dangerous. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think cultivating our own energy and how we feel has such a impact on how we look at the world. You know, I'm a big Dr. Joe Dispenza fan. Um, I don't know if mm. you follow him, but I was just in. It's great. Denver and did his his work and it's just so important that you know it's not always about the external world you know it's it's about well what am I doing today am I showing up as my best am I doing my best with what I can control am I cultivating the right energy a lot of a lot of times people aren't and they they take their accountability off themselves and they're they're expecting other people to 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 fix it or something and really we just need to take a hard look and be like man am i doing my best am i showing up like am i taking care of myself am i like cultivating good relationships like am i am i am i you know being the light in people's lives versus the dark like you either you lift somebody up or you you know you leave them feeling down i mean it's and i i just really think like taking that real honest responsibility for ourselves and that's what dr joe talks about in the, with the meditations it's like man just just go in with yourself and i've noticed personally that when when i take accountability and i'm doing all the things my reality around me changes like it really does and you know what are your thoughts about that cultivating that energy within you know because i feel like if we don't then the environment around us doesn't look as, as, as appealing. And what are your thoughts on all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I love Dr. Dispenza's work. We had the opportunity to interview him a few, time, uh, yeah. few times on, on BT. And <laughs> Amazing. That internal work <clears throat> of everything you just shared speaks to the, having the courage to be yourself. And that is harder mm. than, than we might think, especially in the culture we're growing up. Like I'm a father with a three-year-old and I think, him growing up in this age of social media, the TikToks, the Instagrams, and what school is going to be like for him, what validation looks like, that internal work that you're articulating is so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And understanding that no matter what we do and what we contribute with the purest intention, we'll never have 100% approval. And understanding that is okay. There are going to be different, differing perspectives out there and having that roadmap of what internal success looks like on a daily basis. Are you taking care of your health and wellness? Are you taking care of your career? Are you taking care of your relationships? Putting those things down, I think is extremely valuable. Otherwise it's so easy to get lost and pulled in so many different directions with opinions of people thinking, well, Hey, Rias, Lance, this is what you should do with your podcast. This is what you should do with your keynote speaking. And if you don't have uh, an internal compass, you could be all over the place. So that work that, that you, you know, you're, you're describing that work that I've focused on, on what I want to contribute, I think is extremely valuable to decide it for yourself before somebody else does. Yeah. Cause it's so easy to just get off track and 
and allow your um, just to be a victim of circumstances and your environment. It's so easy. It happens to all of us, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, and if you don't have that center point, you know, your intention, if you don't, you know, just like he says, overcome yourself first thing in the, in the morning, that's essentially what we're doing. It's overcoming ourselves. Like what we're talking about, all of these things, it's like, it's just us ourselves. If we can, you know, overcome those things, the limited beliefs, the voices, the imposter syndrome, then that's a win, you know, and then that allows us to stand in our power. And then the people around us get inspired to do the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially yeah. if someone like yourself, where you, you know, you, you work with speakers and presenting, it's so important that, would you say, like, if you're going to do a speech or you're going to talk, like you have that, like that intention, that, that power step into it. Like how talk us, talk us through like what this process with um, especially with the magnetic presenter as to like, how does one own that? Like, what are some things that you work on with people and what are some things possibly that people are lacking in that? The biggest pain point that I see come up when people ask me, hey, can you help me with this speech? Can you help me with presenting the anxiety piece? Mm. And the anxiety comes from uncertainty of, I don't know how the audience is going to receive this. Every audience is going to be different with the contribution that you make. And the point of acceptance that no matter what you do, You're not going to have universal approval, except understand that fact, but having the philosophy of being a giver, not a taker, I think is crucial. Once you know what your message is, having that service mentality of how your message applies to what their problem is, how can you present their problem and introduce your solution as an act of service? And then once you can articulate that and, and create your roadmap of the stories that are going to matter to your audience, the, the, the pain points that convey that you understand where they're at and where they want to go. And then you can ultimately be the savior providing practical solutions that are going to help them shift and move from point A to point B of here's where I'm at, here's where I want to be. And then you're the guy that gives them the roadmap of here's how you can get there. Then their gratitude comes in and ultimately giving them something to do. Because if you want to shift um, the audience, I always say, focus on results instead of approval. And I think that mindset shift is step one in being successful if you want to present and share that message. Because if you're focused on the results that a month, a year uh, down the line, they could reach out and say, it was a light bulb moment of what you introduced. I started doing things differently and here's how I won. Mm. It's the greatest reward. But that is instead of going on there thinking, are my jokes going to be funny? Are they going to like me? Is this going to land? What, what that's doing is you're just taking from the audience. You're taking validation from the audience. But if you're so dialed in to, as to what they need and you know what you can give and provide to make their life better, it's going to give you a greater sense of confidence and, and channel your energy from nerves to excitement of, I can't wait to give you this gift and this is going to make your life so much better. Mm. And that'll help you be at ease, Uh, be connected to that audience and have fun with the process. Because at the end of the day, if you're up there, if you you get to jam with that audience for half an hour, an hour, whatever time it is, uh, if you're having fun, they're going to follow your lead. 
how great of a feeling is it to see somebody that you that might have been nervous and just to have that light turned on and watch them step into that like that must be amazing it is the greatest reward the greatest sense of fulfillment for one to have them share one of the things and exercises we do in the program is have people the magnetic presenter have people craft out their own signature story that you know when people say hey tell me about yourself or you know tell me about the why do you do what you do if you have this one story that can showcase who you are make them feel something make them think something and ultimately want to do something whether that be connect with you or do something in their own life with the takeaway you left them with that sense of empowerment and watching that transformation to, I don't know if this is good enough. I've never shared this before to, this is my story. And this mm. is how I'm going to help empower others, inspire others, motivate others. It is awesome, Lance. Mm. It is simply awesome. And then getting emails months later saying, oh, I got noticed when my CEO said I had to present in front of 2000 people. I'm using these tools and I'm the star now. That's amazing. I got to do, I got to do this for them. It's, 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 it's such a great gift of you point the focus forward, you give them something and watch them do something with it. Uh, it is an awesome, awesome feeling. This is a, um, this is a question around that, that it's a personal question is that, you know, I have a lot of stuff that I've done in my life. A lot of really hard times, obviously university of adversity came from that. It's my challenge has been like, where's my, What's, where, where do you start? You know, because there's so many layers, like what are some tips for when you really want to nail that? Like when you, when you have a lot of layers to it, like where, what do you look for as being the point where this is, this is it, like, this is the starting point, or this is where it's going to hook somebody. I'll, I'll frame this up, given the fact that you're working on a book uh, in terms of the, the table of contents. So what is the starting point is, so what is the message I want to leave them with? I think, you know, coaching, especially TEDx speakers, the TEDx Vancouver Showcase over the years, some of these speakers have had like 15, 20 million views on their talks. And some of them that were brilliant minds, um, they struggled with sharing their knowledge in an accessible way. And step one with your message, I say simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Make it so simple that it's a truth that they'll say, oh yeah, of course. And that will allow them to remember it because these brilliant minds we would work with and some hit, some didn't, but the ones that really resonated with audiences where you'd see high engagement were that they could make this complicated idea or research easy enough for a 12 year old to digest. So I think it's defining your message in terms of simplicity. What's your message in one sentence? What's your message in three words? And once you have that message, asking ourselves, how does this message address a problem that's part of the zeitgeist today that makes it relevant, that makes it urgent, that has a sense of scarcity, that we need this. If we don't do this, we're going to lose out on something else. And if we tap into that psyche where you have the audience for the first 10, 15 minutes nodding their heads of, yes, I experience that is my problem. That is my pain to the point of Lance, save me. What am I going to do here? <laughs> yeah. Then you're able to swoop in like a great mentor of mine, uh, Nick Morgan, who was the, uh, he's a great communications coach in the States. And he was the editor of Every Conversation Counts. He articulated the fact that if you can present that problem in the first 10 to 15 minutes to the point the audience is, well, what are we going to do? 
you'll hear this magical moment. And this is you know, post-pandemic when we can be in person again. When you introduce, well, here is the solution of how your life can be different or how you can achieve this. You'll literally hear them lean over in their chair, grab their pen, their piece, piece of paper, bang, and they're ready to go. They want that solution you can give them. And that's the thing. It's articulating their problem before you present their solution. And I see with a lot of speakers, brilliant minds, they jump to the solution too quickly that people don't understand. Oh, yes, I do need this. This is what's going on. Wow, these are serious consequences. So simplifying the message, uh, presenting their problem, and then delivering just a kick-ass solution that's unique to you, your experience, what you've learned, and unpacking the best layers that apply to them. And different stories could apply to different audiences. It really comes down to catering to who's in the room and what they need to hear, what you believe they need to hear at that point. Mm. Dude, beautiful. So, so much gold in this conversation, man. And if we, people want to learn more about you and work with you, what, how, what's the best way to check you out? Yeah, thank, th- thanks for the question and, and, and putting this out here. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in like the power of communication and, and what we can do as, as presenters. So starting point is just riazmegji.com. I know if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, how the hell do I spell Riaz Megji? So I'll, I'll help you out. It's yeah. R-I-A-Z or Z if you're listening in America, M-E-G-H-G-I.com. And then if presenting is something you really want to level up on, I created this advanced uh, presentation skills group coaching program because the group aspect creates this great sense of accountability. Just go to the magneticpresenter.com to learn more about that. And hopefully if it's of interest, we can help level up how you connect, how you build relationships, and ultimately how you want to connect with your audiences. And of course your book, Every Conversation Counts. Oh yeah, the book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's out there where books are sold. You can learn about the book um, on my personal website, or you can go to, you know, anywhere if you're in Canada, Indigo Chapters, Barnes and Noble in the States or Amazon. uh, It's available where all books are sold. Dude, thank you so much, man. Honestly, You're, you're such a genuine dude. And I'm so grateful to have met you and to come on the show. And man, there's just so much gold there. I really, really appreciate it. Truly. Hey, man, thank, thank, thanks for creating the space uh, for us to share this. Uh, I, I think we're both in Vancouver doing this over Zoom yeah. one day soon. One day soon, we'll do this in person. And yeah, uh, yeah man, honored to be here. And you know, I respect your hustle. It is thanks. not easy getting to this number of podcast episodes. And I'm excited to see where you take this. And uh, ultimately, your book, when your book comes out, you let me know and uh, happy to support it as well. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And it's I just am so grateful to be able to connect with someone like yourself who is who has accomplished such a great deal in this. That's something I looked up to. I looked up to people like yourself who are in your role of being a, a host of, you know, or TV show or all of that. I mean, all of us did. Everyone secretly wants to be that that spot spot. So it's really great to just see that, um, you know, to have that connection with you here. And now that you're able to do these new things and really step into that and show people your secret sauce and, you know, what really allows people to be able to step in that for themselves and empower themselves. So yeah, man, so grateful. And uh, we'll do this again in person for sure. I love it, man. And, and two final thoughts I'll leave you with, given what you just said. And for your, your listener out there that's with us right now, you are the message. And given this era we're living in right now, you are the network. 
We've got the tools to do it. Just clarify what your message is and use these tools to share it with the world. It can be a powerful thing. There we go. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, dude. All right, man. Thanks, Lance. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you for listening. Make sure to follow Riaz. Go check out everything he's got going on. We have it in the show notes. And if you aren't subscribed to this podcast yet, subscribe wherever you're listening or follow wherever you're, uh, whether Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe as well. We'd love to hear a comment. And as mentioned, to support the show, guys, all we ask is that you share this. Or if you can leave a review, it's greatly appreciated. Most importantly, we love you. All right. Much love. Catch you next time.